You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So that's it, man. One week. One week. We got some uh, training camp. The, f- the first training camp date, which is July 25th at 10.15 a.m. Feels like we finally made it. I know it's still another week, and that's just training camp, but I, training camp is when the season starts, in my opinion. Everybody all over Twitter and everything else is, oh, 50 days. Like, 50 days, nothing. How are you just going to blow past training camp and preseason and everything else? You can't do that. Season starts in one week. But anyways, until then, we still have a week of time to fill. So we're going to continue doing what we're doing, unless and until I can uh, find another little series to do, but whatever. In other words, grab baggy day. As per usual, be sure to check the description, the uh, phone number if you want to leave a text message or a voicemail. To call in and leave a question for the show, you can feel free to do that. Got some sweet, sweet Packernet merch. Otherwise, you know, iTunes reviews, five-star reviews are always appreciated. If you haven't done that yet, if you like and appreciate the show, it does help out quite a bit. At least that's what Google says. I don't really know. Anyways, let's take our break because I got sidetracked doing all kinds of stuff and it's just going to be a short day. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So if you remember a few days ago or whatever, I said something that would be kind of fun would be to call in and have people, I don't know, make a case for something. This could be done in several different ways. And I also said I would leave a uh, suggestion in the Facebook group, which I have not done. That's my bad. But Seamus took the initiative and uh, came up with a few little predictions that he wanted to say. So let's get those out there and I will give my thoughts. Hi, this is uh, Seamus calling to uh, give my two cents on uh, debatable subjects. Um, The first would be that I uh, have a feeling that Bradley Chubb will lead the NFL in sacks this upcoming season, um, as well as that Geronimo Allison will have a better year uh, statistically in uh, catching and yards um, than Randall Cobb will with the Dallas Cowboys. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And as always, go Pack Go! So the easiest thing that I could do is just say no on both accounts. Um, Obviously, with Bradley Chubb, it's easy to say no just from a statistical standpoint. 
However, it does make a good amount of sense. And depending on what kind of odds you get, that might be a pretty good bet. The reason I say that, Bradley Chubb had, let me see what his official numbers were here. So his official counted number was 12 sacks. Pro Football Focus credited him with 13, because again, remember, they count every time he hits the quarterback. They don't do half sacks or any of that kind of stuff. So the, the numbering is a little bit different. The reason I think that this is really solid is if you actually look at his pro football focus grade, despite having 13 sacks according to pro football focus, they gave him a 68.1 overall grade. That's not very good. And again, remember, there's there's no real conflict logically between having great stats and bad grades because they're two separate things. Usually there's going to be a correlation, but it doesn't have to be. In Bradley Chubb's case, it's actually relatively obvious I mean, there's a number of factors that could come into play, but just think about it. Denver Broncos, pass rusher. Why would Bradley Chubb get so many sacks and maybe not be so good? I mean, Kyler Fackrell is an example, but this is a different situation. What is it about Bradley Chubb that maybe would allow him to get a lot of sacks despite not being super great? Do you think maybe having Von Miller on the other side might help? I mean, granted, you still have to get the 12 sacks, but number one, there's zero extra attention being paid to Bradley Chubb. Secondly, you're probably going to clean up a few sacks of people running. Despite Von Miller being double teamed and everything else, he's going to have that quarterback running in your direction quite a bit. So here's my thought on this and where I would support that case. If Bradley Chubb gets better, which I would absolutely expect, let's say he actually gets to become a, a, he takes a second year leap to not only does he become good, he becomes great. So, you know, speaking in PFF terms, let's say he jumps from 68 to 83. And let's say he becomes a guy that, you know, if he were to join, I don't want to say the Packers because, you know, a, a team that doesn't have Von Miller on it, right? He would be an 8-10 to 10 sack guy by himself. With Von Miller on the other side, it's not that crazy to think he could have 15-ish, 16-ish sacks. Maybe that is a little crazy, but the point is, it kind of makes sense, assuming Bradley Chubb takes a leap, because again... He acquired a lot of sacks because of his situation. And then, of course, and maybe Seamus is factoring this in as well, you've got Vic Fangio there. Now, the negative of that is Vic Fangio, and I don't exactly know the defensive scheme of the Denver Broncos prior to Vic Fangio arriving, but Vic Fangio and the Bears, remember, were not super aggressive. It's just bring the front guys. And the thought process is now guys like Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks are actually going to get more sacks without Vic Fangio because there's going to be a lot more aggression, a lot more blitzing, a lot more whatever. Again, you know, if you're just asking me straight up 50-50 shot, is he going to do it? No, I mean, it'll be somebody else. I'll just take the easy money. But I think that kind of makes a lot of sense. Somewhat similar with uh, Geronimo Allison, and I'm I'm sure um, you knew I would take the bait on this one because I'm not the biggest Geronimo Allison fan. Now, Randall Cobb has been obviously descending for some time. Uh, I don't exactly know why or what the heck is going on, considering he's still relatively young. However, again, I think the easy money is on the established veteran slot corner that will be starting and will be playing and will be getting a lot of targets compared to the guy that I don't even know is really going to be starting. I'm I'm very positive he's going to have a role. I just don't know how big that role is going to be. And if it's true, which is not a guarantee, the the assumption that a lot of people are making, uh, you know, Packers folks are making is, well, Matt LaFleur likes to run a lot of, uh, you know, two wide receiver type sets. So, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily true. The Rams run a ton of three wide receivers. 
a lot of 11 personnel or whatever you want to call it. So really, it's just going to be how LaFleur wants to utilize the roster that he has. But if you do run a ton of two wide receiver type sets and Marquez is the number two, then it just means that Geronimo is not going to be on the field very much. And then it's going to be hard for him to statistically have um, more catches and more yards. And, and again, a lot, you know, catches and receptions is, you know, Randall, that's kind of Randall Cobb's thing, right? He's, he's a reception guy. He's a possession guy. Um, if we assume, um, which, you know, you're not doing, but I'll do for the sake of argument for you, that Geronimo is the number two wide receiver and is consistently, you know, despite there being somewhat of a rotation, he's primarily, I'll say, the, the number two wide receiver, then I would probably agree. But that gets into a whole lot of nuance as far as, well, how many snaps, how much time is he there? So I, I just think in general it's probably going to be that, I don't know. I mean, I want to lean Geronimo, but I just think the safe money's on Randall Cobb because I just don't know what Geronimo's role is going to be. And if he does have a significant role, then it's basically just a matter of, it's, it's even at that point. It's just a matter of who's going to do more. And if I knew they were going to have the same amount of snaps, I'd lean Geronimo, but I don't know it's going to be Geronimo. So either way, I think the safe money's on Randall Cobb, but fair enough point. So, you know, disagree on both, but I think both are very, very plausible. So the, the next question, and I've had this one for a while, and I apologize to you, Jim, for uh, taking so long. I've just been trying to think of, it's one of those things that I don't want to just give an answer off the cuff. I want to look into it a lot. But I really think the right answer is what I have in the back of my mind, because there, there, there just isn't a, an official answer to this. But the, the question that he asked was, he's curious how our coordinators on our team and staff rank up against other coordinators in our uh, division. The, the fact of the matter is, I have no idea. I, and, and the reason I say that, and I know that sounds like a lazy answer, but when we were doing this whole thing where we were looking for coaches and coordinators, et cetera, et cetera, I remember trying to find that sort of, I don't know, that, that, that special way of telling whether or not somebody was going to be a good coach or not. And the more I dug, the more I realized it just, it, it, when, when the process started, I kept hearing the Packers and a bunch of other people talk about it's about culture and it's about getting the right person and having a, a good group that just is able to work together and all this stuff that I just thought, who cares? Get the guy with the best resume, who's the best coach, et cetera. Et cetera. That's just not the way it works, man. The, the most, the, the tipping point for me where I just said, all right, this, this is real. There, there's really something to just getting the right person in the right situation in the right culture and all that kind of stuff. But it was, I, I'm pretty sure it was Don Martindale. And I'm looking through this whole thing because I wanted to find good coordinators. And, and the uh, the Baltimore Ravens defense, just looking statistically in 2018, actually, let's start with 2017. So rushing yards per attempt, 16th. Rushing touchdowns, 16th. Yards, rushing yards, 15th. Passing defense was pretty solid. Net yards per attempt was 4th. Number 1 in interceptions, 5th in touchdowns allowed, 10th in yards. But the rushing defense was mediocre. Passing defense was pretty good. The next season in 2018... Passing yards allowed fifth, passing touchdowns third, net yards per attempt second, so maybe the best passing defense in the NFL. Total yards allowed, they were first in the NFL. Uh, Total points given up, they were second in the NFL. Rushing yards, they were fourth. Rushing yards per attempt, they were third. Rushing touchdowns allowed sixth. You'd be hard-pressed to find any team with as good of a defense as that. They got a brand-new defensive coordinator by the name of Don Martindale. Now, Martindale's been with the Baltimore Ravens for a while, but given his resume, there, there's no reason to think that the guy would be a good defensive coordinator, other than he's a, a good culture guy. This is a guy who 
started coaching D3 um, in 1986. Worked in college until 2003. He put in some serious work from age 23 to age 40. He was in college until he finally gets an inside linebacker's job in 2004 with the Oakland Raiders. Becomes a linebacker's coach eventually. In 2009, he gets a linebacker's coach with the Denver Broncos. The next year, he gets the defensive coordinator position. Finally, finally, from 1986 to 2010, he becomes a defensive coordinator. The Denver Broncos defense goes from mediocre to hot garbage, and he gets fired. After all that work, the Denver Broncos defense just tanks. He gets fired, and in 2012, the Denver Broncos pick him up as an inside linebacker's coach which essentially reset his career all the way back to 2004. It's as though, or it's as low as he just lost eight, nine years of his life. He's starting over as an inside linebacker's coach. He spends four years instead of two this time as an inside linebacker coach with the Baltimore Ravens before getting promoted to a linebacker coach. He spends two years as a linebacker's coach and Baltimore Ravens decide to do the same thing the Denver Broncos did, which is probably the thing I would not have done, which is to hire the guy. But instead of things getting spectacularly worse, he assembles one of the most dominant defenses in the NFL, at least statistically speaking. And there, there were a lot of other examples like this to where the resume doesn't speak super well, but it's a culture thing, right? He's a raven. Right place, right time, right scheme, right players. It just made sense. For whatever reason, the Denver Broncos, the, the team that they had, it just didn't work. The, his scheme married with this team, and, and this is guys that he had been with it, well for a year, I guess. But the Baltimore Ravens knew the guy. They know Don Martindale. Been with the team since 2012. So as much as I'd like to go back and do what I did before and look at all their resumes and try to do some kind of thing where you, know, you compare resumes to other teams in the NFC North, and try, it just it doesn't really mean much. It's why I haven't even really gone in-depth as far as the Chuck Pagano thing in his resume, because it just doesn't matter anymore. What he did in the past doesn't really matter. Kind of like what I've been saying about, you know, Mike McCarthy. What do you do if he gets hired again? What do you say about the guy? Well, he used to be good, but he's no good anymore. Okay, well, he took a year off, just like Chuck Pagano did, just like Mike Pettin did after he got fired as the Browns head coach. He took some time off, he worked with the Seattle Seahawks, and he studied defenses, and he understood what modern defenses look like and tried to modernize his scheme. We still don't really know if, if Mike Pettin's scheme is going to work in, in today's modern age. It seems to be pretty impressive in some capacities, but we got to see if, it, if it's going to work. The, the, the NFL is constantly changing, and, it's constant, and there's so many factors. I mean, if you want to know the success of the Green Bay Packers coordinators, first of all, it's just like a team where they all interwork with each other. How successful our offensive coordinator coach is, is going to depend on the people lower than him, the quarterbacks, tight ends coach, et cetera, et cetera, as well as the head coach who's going to be working with him. It's going to be dependent on the players and, and how well the players fit the scheme and how well he can understand the scheme and there's so many interworking things, and that, that is why I tend to have come around to the fact that it is something about culture. Similar to it's important when I talk about the corners for them to have this sort of locker room vibe, to have a sort of energy and, and a, a sort of a sense of team and working together because they can feed off of each other. That, that needs to interplay with the coaches as well. And I do think it kind of works to our advantage to some degree. It could be a disadvantage because they haven't had any experience working together, but it's somewhat of an advantage to have a lot of young guys, real hungry, you know, real modern age that kind of understand and, and you know, the, 
the the desire to grow their careers and, and really be on the cutting edge as opposed to some of the older guys that, you know, as much as you might not want to believe it, they, they just don't put in the work anymore. Again, Mike McCarthy is an example, and I know he's putting in hours. This guy's putting in, he's grinding like crazy, but he's not hungry the way he used to be hungry. He's not modernizing and, and, and trying to stay ahead of the curve and trying to, he's just, it's in self-preservation mode. Right, again, there's a different, stark difference between Andy Reid and Mike McCarthy. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has everything to do with being hungry to stay ahead of the curve, to be the top dog. And I really do believe if Mike McCarthy had adopted the same attitude as Andy Reid in studying, rather than studying last year and figuring out how to, how to tweak my system to make it work a little bit better, staying ahead of the curve and, and focus on changing the system and, and modernizing, I think Mike McCarthy could, could be an Andy Reid. So again, it just, it really comes down to so many different variables, and I just don't know, and we don't, I, I don't, I don't even know about Mike Pettin. I don't know about Lafleur. I don't know how these guys are going to work together, our offensive coordinator. Um, obviously, I'm excited about Mike Smith, but I don't know anything about him, and how is he going to work with the, the guys that we have, because they're a little bit different than the D4 types. It, there's just no real good way to answer that question, because of the massive amount of variables involved. But again, I, I'm, I'm excited that they're young, wide-eyed, and, and kind of excited. Because these are the guys that, you know, they're not just going to put in the 10-hour days. They're going to put in the 18-hour days. Massive amounts of energy. And, and you hear that. Guys who have been in it for a while, they, they talk about the amount of energy required. And again, I'm not trying to pick on McCarthy, but I mean, it gets hard as you get older. And, and you know, I think, I'm going to sound like a total jerk. But look, I think being in good physical condition matters, right? It, it takes a toll. It requires a lot of high energy. And, you know, again, the potential is all there to, to have a really, really good group. And to be good for a while. I think Matt LaFleur is the kind of guy who's who's really, really hungry. As much as you want a guy to come in and, and be a commander and a general and all that stuff, he, you, the fact that he came in all wide-eyed, like, I can't believe this is really me and this is really happening, I think that's a good thing because he wants it. He's just, He's the opposite of complacent. It just comes down to ability at this point. Can he do it? He's going to put in the work. Can he do it? Same with the offensive coordinator. Same with a lot of the other young guys that we got that came on. So again, kind of a lame answer, but it really is just the best I can come up with. You know, the, the Vikings, they got a new offensive coordinator. He's got a big, long history. Some of it good, some of it bad. You can you can nitpick one thing here, one thing there. But again, it's just he's going to implement a certain scheme. You know, his his ability to work with the head coach... Uh, the ability to implement a scheme, the ability to call plays, the ability to work that scheme with the players and adapt it to the players you have. No idea. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. And that's why we keep seeing coaches that are just no good just keep getting hired. And sometimes it just sticks. Something just clicks. And all of a sudden they're a good coach. And it's just like, where did this come from? Even Bill Belichick. There was no way of knowing he would have become what he became. It just, it just, everything just clicked. It became like a perfect storm. The things that he had learned, the 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 team, the quarterback, the 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 staff, and everything just something just clicked. And it's just like this perfectly formed little system that just makes sense. And it just, he just gets it. He knows what to do now. There was no way if anybody knew he would have become what he became. It just, well, I mean, the Patriots did pay a pretty high price for him, but. Whatever, right? You just never know, and we'll just have to wait and see. Anyways, let's take one more break and then uh, try to squeeze in a few more things really quick before I have to call it. So it came out recently in the news that Grady Jarrett got himself a pretty big contract. Uh, it's averaging about $17 million per season. Um, a lot of people are really nervous about that. I'm actually pretty excited. Um, now, Grady Jarrett's a little bit older, 
Um, and he doesn't exactly have quite the resume of a Kenny Clark. So I do think Kenny's going to get a bigger contract. Um, he's had more years of success. Uh, Grady Jarrett had six sacks, according to PFF, last year. So he's not a high sack guy, similar to Kenny Clark. So, you know, my concern was when I saw Aaron Donald get paid. That was my frame of reference. And I knew he wasn't going to get Aaron Donald money. However, as the, you know, you can take Aaron Donald and then subtract a bunch for Kenny Clark, but add on one, two, three years, however long it takes to pay, it's creeping back up to that Aaron Donald range. By the way, his, his annual salary was $22.5 million. So to see that the market, so to speak, was, was kind of reset, like the, the big dog, the, the top guy, young, um, ascending, core player type guy was $17 million, that kind of makes me happy. And I think if the Packers are smart, they, and I, I keep saying this, and I understand it's not so easy to just throw money at somebody and we have a salary cap and it's already kind of capped out. We do have some space, but whatever. You kind of want to save about as much as we have right now. But I would love, 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 love. If we could get him for 18 and a half, I don't know if that's possible, but if we can get him like a four-year or even a five-year, maybe that's too much, but he's so young. At 18 and a half million, do you know that he's going to be the steal of all steals? And I don't think we can do it. I really, I don't think his agent would allow that because in, in even three years, that's going to be a slap in the face, much less five. I think it's going to be hard to lock him up for less than 20 million, but any possibility of doing it, because the fact of the matter is, as good as Kenny Clark is, paying $20 million to a defensive tackle who's getting not that many sacks. You know, I, I love Kenny, and he's a core player, and he's a great, great, great player, and I'm so excited to lock him up long term. But that's a lot of money for essentially a non-pass rusher. And I know he is a, a talented pass rusher, but maybe, maybe you know, maybe there is a benefit to waiting just so we can see it. You know, I, I'd rather, as crazy as it sounds, I'd rather see him get to to a, you know eight, nine, ten sacks and pay him the twenty million, knowing that he's a, a potential ten sack guy then pay a guy that's getting six sacks 18.5 or 19 million because i mean in re- in in reality in 3 years the guy's got 11 sacks that's less than four a season and i know his rookie year he didn't start a ton but he still had 400 total snaps 219 pass rush attempts zero sacks on that so again you know i don't know the bottom line is we're going to pay him we're not going to let him walk we we're absolutely going to pay him so just give him the money now while the, the market is set low. And again, I, I'm, I'm coming at it from the opposite perspective. Everyone sees $17 million and they're like, oh no, Kenny Clark's going to be so expensive. Like, what did you think it was going to be? You think we're going to get him for $15 million? The last big defensive tackle contract was $22 million. I had a panic attack. And people now are freaking out about seventeen. Get out of here. That's a, that is a blessing. I'm pumped about it. I'll take seventeen all day. If we can lock up Kenny for eighteen. I'm going to go dance out. Well, I won't give you any graphic pictures, but I will go outside and be excited and run up and down the street. That's all you need to know about that. But that that that's essentially the reason why I keep saying, "Hey, let's let's pay Kenny. Let's pay Kenny. You want to pay Kenny? We should extend Kenny. I don't care how old he is. I don't I don't I don't care how much time is left. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Please can we do it? Let's do it. Please can we do it?" Because I'm just freaking out about how much money every single year his price tag just keeps going up. And even if the guy gets hurt again, we're going to pay him anyways. If he gets hurt for the second year in a row, guess what? He's still getting paid because he's 24 years old and he's one of the best defensive tackles in the entire NFL. And it's only his third year. I mean, he, man, oh man, who was it? There was a guy, he's been in the league like 
eight years, and he's one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL, and he, he didn't even become a good defensive tackle until like year five. I referenced him, I don't know, a month ago or something. I forget who it was. But but Kenny has just continued to go up, and in three years, he went from in his rookie year being mediocre. His second year, he overtook Mike Daniels as the best defensive tackle and probably the best defensive player on the well, probably he, he I think he was. He was. I don't know who else would have beat him. He absolutely was. And in year three, he not only is the best defensive player on the team, he's a top five defensive tackle in the league. And if he had more sacks, he would be number two behind Aaron Donald. And the only reason I keep saying that is because the bottom line is, in the NFL today, that's what matters. Sacks sell. <laughs> that, that is a t-shirt. Sacks sells. <laughs> Kyle, we, we got to talk about that, man. I think that needs to be a new line. I don't know, should it be Sacks Sell, because that's the correct way to say it, or should it be Sacks Sells? Which doesn't sound right, but it, you know, it, it kind of sounds more like the other thing. Let me know, and I also need to get some graphics done up on that. It should probably be Sacks Sell, right? People will get it. Anyways, anyways, I got a few other big, kind of longer things to discuss, and a few around the NFL things that um, I can't squeeze in in three minutes. So I guess we're going to call it there. Any graphic artists in the audience, let me know. Otherwise, you folks, enjoy your Thursday. I will be back tomorrow to discuss a few of those things. Have a good one. Bye-bye.